Texas anytime you watch this video message. Our mission here at Cross Point is to relentlessly pursue those far from God the hope and love of Jesus. And we pray that by watching you experience both hope and love he has to offer you. If you have questions or need more information on the ministries of our church, visit us online at crosspointcity.com. We hope you enjoy this message. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. When you pray, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Pray like this. Pray then like this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debt. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And the power. And the glory forever. And the glory forever. The glory forever. And the glory forever. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. How are you guys? I know that you got well, that's good. You guys are you guys are doing the best out of all three services, it sounds like. I, I know that you guys are really sad not to see Davy and Goliath on the screen anymore. I'm equally as sad as you, but I'm really excited for this new series that we're gonna be going into. We did this last summer and we're gonna continue this summer in the best sermon ever. The Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught. I'm really excited. The reason that bumper video even was that way is because we're going to be talking a lot about the Lord's Prayer, um, which is just a rich piece of scripture for us to dig into together as a church family. But I'm glad that you're here this morning for the last week of our Dumb Things That Smart Christians Believe series that we've been in. If you want to grab your Bibles or your version app, I've been struggling with that today, your version app and pull it out, go to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to be together This morning as we finish up in this series and we've just been taking a look at these ideas, these things that we think are very dangerous, not good for us to believe. They look good on the surface, they may even sound really smart, but if we look at them through the lens of scripture, if we set them up against God's word, we find out they're really just untrue and unbiblical things. And so before we get into the thing that we're talking about today, the dumb thing we're going to look at, I think it's worth mentioning again, James has mentioned this formula several times in this series, but it's this formula of good intentions plus bad assumptions equals dumb decisions. Good intentions plus bad assumptions equals dumb decisions. And we saw that this is really true. We, we can want to follow God and do what's right and, and love and serve Him and, and be good people, but if we add bad information or what we're saying are bad assumptions to that mix, it equals out to making a dumb decision. It equals out to us holding God to things that He never promised or never said were true. It adds to us resenting God or or being angry with him for not coming through in a way we thought he should have, even though he never said he would. And that's true today in the dumb thing that we're going to look at. The thing we're going to look at today, the statement is, faith can fix anything. Faith can fix anything. And, And this, in my opinion, I think is one of the most dangerous of the dumb things that we've talked about. There's probably a good majority of you in this room who at some time or another have faced one of these scenarios. You either had 
yourself or a close family member that's been given a terminal illness and been given a diagnosis that doesn't give them much time left or, or you faced an incredibly hard financial hardship that's come on you all of a sudden or a crisis in your family. And if that's you, you've probably heard, if you've been around the church at all, somebody come to you and say, if you just have enough faith, that will be fixed. If you just have enough faith, healing will come. If you just have enough faith, you'll get the money you need. If you just have enough faith, that crisis will go soon. And we've been peddled this, this thought that faith can fix anything. But here's the thing, this notion that faith can in fact fix anything, it leads us to some dangerous places. First of all, it holds God to something that he never promised. What we do is we insert promises that aren't true, that aren't biblical, that we can't find in the pages of this book, and we hold God to those things. We put him up to them, and then it leads to us being bitter or or resentful against God when things don't happen the way we think that they should have. It's also dangerous because what it does is it causes us to question the character of God. We question his sovereignty and, and his ability to control and do all things. And really, you wouldn't have to go very far to see this. If you turned on the television to a Christian uh, TV station or a Christian radio station, there's many people that stand on stages like this that would teach this way. That They would teach that, listen, if you have the right amount and the right quality of faith, then God will fix anything. If you have enough and if your faith is good enough and it's the right kind, then whatever you're facing, God has to answer you the way you want him to answer you. And really what it does is it causes us to think of God kind of as like a spiritual Santa Claus. Like if I wish hard enough, if I think hard enough, if I have enough faith, then God has to do what I want him to do. But see, the problem with this is it leaves a lot of people really disillusioned because then when the healing doesn't come that they want or the finances or the answer to their prayers that they think should be coming, they go, I guess I don't have enough faith. I guess my faith isn't good enough or I don't have enough. It's a really dangerous notion too because it, to be clear, God doesn't have to do anything that we want. We can't back God into a corner and make him do anything, which is why this is so dangerous. But, but I think the real issue is this. The real issue here is just a bad and unbiblical definition of faith. We've just inserted our own definition into this phrase and it's this idea of positive thinking. It's, it's not really faith the way the Bible describes it. It's this idea of just thinking positively. If I think positive enough about a situation, it will be fixed the way I want it to be fixed because God has to do that. And, and that's just a bad and unbiblical definition. What that leads us to is it really leads us to having more faith in faith than it does actually having faith in God. It causes us to just believe in having faith that I can fix anything instead of having faith in the God of the Bible. And so in order for us to see why this is not a good way of thinking and the way we should think about faith, we're just going to go to God's Word and we're going to see how He explicitly defines what faith really is. In Hebrews chapter 11, which you're already there, it's going to be on the screen as well. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and see where God lays out this explicit definition of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So let's start in verse 1. We're actually going to start in the second part of that verse, and it says that it's the conviction of things not seen. Now that word conviction there, it also means evidence. If you go to the King James Version, it actually says the evidence 
of things not seen. So a conviction or evidence. So if we read this verse, what we see is what it's saying is faith is an evidence or a conviction of things we haven't seen. So now that doesn't seem to make much sense when you read it at first because if we have faith in something, it seems that we should have to get evidence then. Like in order to have faith in something, there needs to be some evidence to back it up. So how in the world can faith be evidence in and of itself? And verse 3 kind of leads us to understanding this. There's an illustration. Verse 3 is used as an illustration of this type of faith that God's talking about. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So the question is, how do we know that God created the world out of things that weren't already there, out of things we couldn't already see? Now, this question raises us. I, I don't think any of you were there when God created the world in Genesis. I know I wasn't. I, and even if we were, even if we had the ability to go and be there, we can't see God's words. It says God created the world by the word of God. So we couldn't see his words as he created these things out of nothing. So it brings us once again to the question, how can faith be evidence? How can faith in and of itself be evidence? Does not Faith need evidence to back itself up. And I know these are a lot of questions, but hang in there with me. There's only one other place in the New Testament that speaks about these invisible attributes of God. Right here it talks about God creating the world out of things that aren't seen. There's one other place in the New Testament that speaks to these invisible attributes. It's in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. And it says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So in Romans, here's what it's saying. It's saying that the way we know that God created the world is we look at creation. It says that creation speaks to a creator, ultimately the creator God. Hebrews says that the evidence of God creating the world is what? It says in verse 3, the first two words are by faith. So here's what we can take those two things to mean. In part, true faith is this. Us seeing, it's a spiritual act of us seeing God in creation. Seeing God's fingerprints over creation. Being able to see the order and the greatness and the glory and the complexity of God in creation. When I think about seeing God's fingerprints in creation, I always think about, I love at night, nights when there's a full moon. I love when there's a full moon, it's clear enough out to see the stars. To me, that just speaks to the greatness of God. Being able to think that we're just one little small speck in this whole universe that God created. I also, it leads me to think about the complexity of God. Because if the sun and the moon were just a little closer, a little further away, we'd either burn up or freeze and all this stuff would happen. That God placed it just in the right spot. I think about the sand too in the Old Testament. It speaks about how the sand speaks to God's power. Because he places the sand, these little grains of sand all together hold back the power of the waves in the ocean. How many of you like sitting on the beach? I don't, like when I think about the sand, I don't think about sitting in the sand. Like you who like to sit there for eight hours when it's hot and you're sweaty and sand gets everywhere that you don't want it to get. Like that's not fun to me. But when I think about the sand and the power that God gave it to hold back the ocean, those are the fingerprints of God. Those are us being able to see God in creation. Think about it this way. If I told you I know that Phillips Arena is in Atlanta, I would tell you the evidence is it's because I went there last Friday and I saw it. If I told you the Cleveland Cavaliers are in the finals, I saw it. I went to game two, I watched them handle the Hawks and then go on to sweep them. How many of you are Hawks fans in here? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm a Cavs fan and we're going to be in the finals and you're not. So there we go. 
I got one Cavs fan here with me today. I like it. But I saw it. That's the evidence. I was there. I was in the arena. I saw the game. That's the evidence. I, I want to try and help us all understand what I'm saying here. So in the seat backs in front of you, if you're in the front row, there's a piece of paper. There's a white piece of paper. You can go ahead and grab it out and flip it over, and there's a picture on that. How many of you know what these things are? Okay, some of you do. When I was in elementary and middle school, I would go, we'd have to go to study hall in the library. I would check out one of these 3D illusion books, and I would go cross-eyed for an hour trying to see these things. If you don't know what they are, in this picture, there's a deeper picture. So if you look at it, there's something else hidden in this image. So I'm going to give you just a couple seconds to look at it and see if you see it. All right, the question is, how many of you have seen it yet? How many? Okay, so we've got, wow, not many in the service. Okay, so a couple of you have seen it. What is it? Somebody that saw it, what is it? It's a slice of pizza. Okay, there wasn't many that raised your hand, so a lot of you are at least better than me. You don't lie. When I was a kid, I never saw anything. I've never looked at one of these and actually seen something in it, so I would just lie. I'd raise my hand. I'd go to the cheat sheet in the back, find out what it was, and tell my friends, yeah, I saw the dog. Of course I did. It drove me nuts. I don't know how you guys see it. Cindy Savaro, she's on our staff. She spent like 30 minutes standing by the printer on Friday, like just, and she took it home. She still hasn't seen it. She told me this morning. So some of you, it's a lost cause. But you guys can go ahead and put those back. But as you look at these images, here's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to see something deeper. I know some of you have lost for the rest of the service. You're going to be staring until you see pizza or until you go permanently cross-eyed, one of the two. But when, when you look at it, you're supposed to see a deeper image. You're supposed to look through and see something come through. Now, for those of you that didn't see it, if you asked somebody who saw it, who saw the slice of pizza, and you said, how do you know there was a slice of pizza in that picture? What would they say? They would say, I, I saw it. I saw it. That's the evidence. You wouldn't be able to convince them otherwise. They saw it. The same way when we look at creation. See, when people look at these 3D images, I know this is me, you just see color and chaos. Nothing makes any sense. There really isn't anything else there. But when you look deeper, when you look through the image, so to speak, you see something else. That's the same thing with creation. Some people, when they look out of creation, they just see color and chaos. They just see all of this stuff in the world that doesn't seem to make any sense. But those of us, by the grace of God, who have faith, see God. We see through God's creation, so to speak, and by the grace of God, we see evidence of him. We see his fingerprints. We see his glory and the complexity and the greatness of what he's done in creation. The writer here in Hebrews, that's what he says. That's a definition in part of true faith. Being able to see the fingerprints of God in his creation. Being able to attribute to God what he has done in the greatness of what he has created. Now, the, the other thing, there's another definition, there's another part to this definition, and it's at the beginning of verse 1 that says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now here's what that means for us. Faith, and that, is, that word assurance, it means there's a deep conviction, a deep sense of knowing that when God promises something, it will come true. That we have an assurance in the things that we hope for, which are the promises of God. We, we have a deep conviction and a deep belief that when God promises to do something, he will do what he says he will do. Now, here's the beautiful thing about that word. Assurance not only just means assurance, but it means substance, if you go back and translate it back in the original language. 
So God not only tells us that he promises to do these things, God not only shares these promises with us, but he gives us substance. He gives us things that we can hold on to, that we can cling to, that we can believe in, that we can have faith in. He doesn't just want us to believe in these future promises with no ability to hold on to anything. He gives us that. And that looks different for different people. I know for me, as I was studying, this came into my mind. My wife and I have gotten into this great habit, for whatever reason, of getting bills in the mail that we weren't expecting to come that cost way more than we think they should. It's been happening like 150 times in the past month, it seems like. Like, I feel like everybody's bills are just coming to our door. But we got this bill, one in particular, a a couple weeks ago, and it was the same thing. It was one we weren't expecting, it was pretty big, and we were like, And, and I don't say this to boast, but I remember thinking, you know what, God, you're good. No matter what, you're good. Even if I have to sell a kidney to pay this, you're really, you're good. And I remember my wife, if you know anything about her, she's like to sickening levels organized. Like it's almost unreal. And one of the things she does for her job, she works at the Chick-fil-A here. She helps out in the office. So sometimes for her job, people um, don't cash checks, whether it's vendors or people that work at Chick-fil-A. They don't cash their checks, which always baffles me. But they don't cash their checks, and so she'll get an email after a certain amount of time and say, hey, so-and-so didn't cash a check, void it, and send them a new one. So the day that we get this bill, she gets an email like that, and what happens is the most organized person on the planet who never forgets anything, it was her. She had forgotten to cash this check, and it was pretty much for exactly the amount of the bill that we got. And and for me, that was just an assurance. That was substance. That was something for me to grab a hold of because God promises to meet our needs. Now, the problem with that is some people would insert that story once for the word needs. God promises to meet our needs, and we think that our wants are our needs, and that's not true. But what I do know is that when we need something, God promises to provide it for his sons and for his daughters. And so when we hope in these promises, there's assurance. There is a way for us to know that the fulfillment of these promises, the things to come, the things that God says, we can be assured that they're coming. We can be assured because these promises that God makes, they have substance to them. Now, when we go through the rest of Hebrews 11, we're going to see the smart way of thinking about this. So so the dumb thing is faith can fix anything, which really is more a bad definition of faith than it is a a dumb statement. Because, Because true faith really can fix anything, maybe just not in the way we think about it. When we insert that as positive thinking... When we look at it with the bad definition of positive thinking can fix anything, it's just not true. But, but here's the one thing that true faith does for sure. True faith fixes our eyes on God. True faith fixes our eyes on God. If you go to Hebrews 11.1, 1, what we just went through, you'll see that those two things, those two definitions, that complete definition of faith, it does two things. Each time it says something, it fixes our eyes on God. The first one fixes our eyes on the promises that God made that we know that can be true. The assurance of things hoped for. And the second thing that it says, the conviction of things not seen, the evidence of things not seen, fixes our eyes on God as creator of the world. Seeing the evidence of him in creation. Both of those things lead us to our attention being on God, not on our circumstances. See, positive thinking focuses on results. True faith focuses on God. Our positive thinking, when we insert that for faith, we think then it's all about what God does or what the results or the outcome of the circumstances we face are. When we have true faith, it just fixes our eyes on God so that no matter the circumstance, we rest in one thing. As you go through the rest of Hebrews 11, it it makes this come alive. Hebrews 11 is considered like the hall of fame of faith. 
So how Hebrews 11 works is it just goes down naming different people and their faith. The faith that's described in verses 1 through 3 is what these people, it's the kind of faith that they had. So as we go, I'm just going to, for time's sake, name off these people that are mentioned. The first one is Abel. Abel was the brother of Cain. They were the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Abel, because of his true faith, it says that he gave his best to God. He was a farmer and he was a gardener. He brought his best to God as an offering, as a sacrifice. Because of that, his brother Cain murdered him in jealousy. But the Bible says that it still speaks to this day of Abel's faith. You go on in Abraham. Abraham was promised by God to be the father of a great nation, bigger than the number of the grains of sand. And in there it says that Abraham, because of his true faith, he got up, he left everything he knew, took everything he had and just walked. And God said, I'll tell you when to stop. Faith, true faith in his wife Sarah caused her to have a child far beyond her childbearing years. That was the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham. Noah built an ark when there was no evidence of rain because of his true faith. Moses was led back to the nation of Egypt where he had fled to lead God's people out of captivity across a dry Red Sea through the wilderness and to the promised land ultimately. Even though Moses never himself got to cross into that. And the whole chapter goes on to just list these evidences. At one point the writer says, time would fail. I don't have enough time to keep talking about all these people. And he lists some more. But there's something that happens at the end of Hebrews chapter 11 that's really important for us to see. And these two sections of verses that we're going to look at, they're what let us know what true faith is. They're they're what cements this definition that true faith is not positive thinking. And here's what I'll say. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 33 through 35. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises... Stop the mouth of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. So, so in these verses, if we just kept our definition of positive thinking can fix anything, or what we would call faith, we would look at that and go, see, but doesn't that make sense? Those are all great outcomes. Armies fleeing, the mouths of lions being stopped, fire being quenched, God promising things and coming through, people receiving their dead back in the resurrection, being raised from the dead. Those are all incredible things, and those are all incredible looks at the power of God and His ability to do anything. But if we stopped right there, then we could have the danger of falling into this belief that positive thinking fixes anything. And that's just not true. Here's what true faith does. Like we said, it fixes our eyes on God. And here's how we know that to be true. Because if we keep reading in verse 36, it says this. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The same true faith that was described in those first couple verses is the same true faith that these people possessed. Some saw the mouths of lions stopped and fires quenched, and some were sawn in half and thrown in jail. They both had the same true faith in God. You see, that's why we can know that faith isn't worried about the results. Faith is focused in on God. Because these people had true faith, and and this is what it led them to. 
the, the ones that we read about in those first couple verses, their true faith led them to bring glory to the name of God for what he had done for them. To give him credit for stopping the mouth of lions and delivering them from foreign armies and making promises come true and quenching fire. In the same way, those next verses, those people gave glory to the God for him allowing them to suffer alongside of him. For him still being God even in the midst of their persecution and suffering. True faith focuses our eyes, it fixes our eyes on God, not on the results of the circumstances we face. See, here's one thing we have to know. True faith is based on truth in God's word and his true promises. That's why it's dangerous for us to think that faith can just fix anything. True faith can. It can give us hope and comfort even when we don't get the results that we want. But this idea of positive thinking, what it leads us to is to believe in promises that are not in the Bible. There is nowhere in the scriptures where God promises perfect health, perfect wealth, and perfect happiness here on this earth. There's not one place you can find that. But there are promises in God's word that we can be assured of, that we can have hope in. One of them is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you're a son or daughter in this room of God, then, then these promises are for you. Philippians 4, 7 says, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. That is something to hope and be assured of. Psalms talks about in crisis, God is a rock and a refuge that we can stand on and hide in. That is a promise that we can be assured of and hope for. There is a promise in God's word where there will be no more disease, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more evil. And that promise is still coming. It's not here yet. That promise is when we one day are ushered into the glory of God when we'll spend the rest of our eternity worshiping God for who he is and what he's done. That's a promise that we can bank our lives on. So even when the circumstances of life don't go the way we want, even when we pray and we ask God, which he's never mad about, which he asks us to do, but even when God doesn't come through in the way we think he should or we would like him to, true faith focuses on the God of the Bible who has promises that we can still rest in who's a God that's created and controls everything, who we can have hope in. That's where true faith lies. If you, if you go in Hebrews 11, there's two places in verse 13 and verse 39 where the writer makes sure to point something out. In verse 13, after he's named Abel and Moses and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, and he's gone down the list, he says, they saw the promise from afar and greeted it from afar, but they did not see it here. And then in verse 39, after we read of all those different fates those people faced, having true faith in God, it says they they didn't see the fullness of the promise while they were here. There was something better. And here's that something better. That something better is Jesus Christ. The assurance, the hope, the real promise that we have true faith in is the fact that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. The fact that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life for you and I Dying a death on the cross that we deserve. That's the better hope. That's the promise that all these people's true faith was found in. That's the thing that they hoped for. That was their assurance. And that's the same assurance that you and I can have. My hope is that today as we walk out of here, that we have a right definition of what faith is. That we have a right definition of what true faith is that causes us to live differently that causes us not to hold God to things that he never says, that causes us not to waver when life comes at us and when situations are hard. 
some of us are going to exercise our true faith and we're going to watch God move. We're going to watch him heal when it's impossible. We're going to watch him deliver us from situations that don't seem probable to have delivery. Some of us, the healing won't come or the deliverance won't seem to come, but, but that's where true faith still rests in the promise of God bringing a peace that passes all understanding, being a rock and a refuge that we can stand on, bringing a comfort and a hope in times of struggle and persecution and suffering. That's the God that we trust in. That's why we can have assurance because our true faith isn't based just in the results and the circumstance of life. True faith fixes its eyes on God. As we finish here today and as we close out and we pray, my prayer is that we every day would fight for that because that's not an easy place to get to. True faith is not a natural thing. We've been conditioned to think that our faith is really more about what happens and getting what we want rather than just fixing our eyes on God who is assured that he's coming again, that we can hope in that and who we can look to and see his power and glory in all that's around us. You guys can bow your heads. God, you are good. God, I do. I pray that we would walk out of here with a better understanding of what you say true faith is. I just, I pray that we would understand that by faith we can see you in creation. By faith we can be assured of the promises you make. I pray that we would not leave here today walking out of this series. God, that we would be, we would be able to see the bad assumptions. We would be able to put things up against scripture and not take bad information or not hold you to things that you've never said. God, I pray that we would have true faith that rests and fix our eyes on you. God, for those that are in this room who don't know you, who came in today without any faith because they don't, they don't believe yet that your son really did what he did for us, that he came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for our sins, the death we deserve. I pray today could be the day that they know you, that they could enter into this true faith. I pray for those that are sons and daughters of God in this room that, that we would walk out of here living in true faith. We would fight every day to put our eyes on you to look at creation and see your fingerprints to exercise faith in that way God and then to be assured and to hope in your promises some that are still out there and on the way but God that we would rest in the substance you give us in your promise rest in the ways that we can cling to your promises and see them come true in our lives God, you are good and you are worthy of our whole life and all of our praise. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen.